All right, Mr. Manager. All right, thank you, Mayor. Uh, good to see everybody this evening. Um, I'm going to run you through the agenda, and then we'll get started. So we've got a, a couple of items that are on your agenda tonight that I think it's just always good to sort of hear about and get an overview. And uh, Bobby Tahan is going to stand up and talk to you about a, a zoning text amendment that's actually on your agenda for the uh, for the 20th. And then items uh, R4 and R5 are a couple of VDOT projects that you all uh, advanced last October, but again, I think it's good for you to, to hear what's happening there. And uh, Richard Broad will jump up and, and tell you what's happening there. And then I'm pleased to have Dr. Joel English uh, with uh, Centura College, and I think everybody knows, but uh, really a, a, a great story of collaboration, partnership, and growth in Norfolk. And we talk a lot about um, inclusive economic development, and, uh, and much of that is about talent development, and nobody's doing any more than uh, Dr. English and his team. and and you all know that they've acquired the uh, Cavalry School on Willow Creek Road and have great plans for that. And that's coming up on your agenda here shortly uh, uh, later in the month. And so I want you all to have a chance to, to hear about that. Um, sorry, Ms. Johnson and um, Ms. Graves are not here, but uh, they're aware that y'all's policy says we want to talk to you. We want to share it to, with you before you vote on it. So we really didn't want to wait uh, until um, your next meeting. And then, uh, we, you know, we, we've talked, uh, your last several work sessions have really been about um, looking at regional um, issues and concepts or, or concepts that you all are tackling that sort of cross borders. And we've talked about stormwater, and we've talked about public safety, and we've talked about transportation. And tonight, uh, Catherine Whitesell and Fraser Picard are going to talk to us about um, what we're calling building smarter connections, but uh, regional broadband and, and some other items. Uh, then Richard Broad's going to come back up, and um, another, I think, a good story for us regionally has been SIPSA. And SIPSA has certainly had its challenges over the years, and uh, in many ways was uh, maybe, maybe built on a flawed concept uh, from the get-go. But I think a lot of heavy lifting um, by Richard and, and uh, John Kiefer, who's your representative uh, on, on uh, SIPSA, who's now the chair, and I think there's some good, uh, some good things that have happened there. I just want to make sure council understands and, and the community understands where we are. And then Kyle Spencer with the uh, Resilience Office is going to talk about some new sensor technology and some really interesting things that uh, he's doing with the um, Department of Homeland Security and Norfolk's role in that and, and really starting to uh, that uh, continue this idea of the smart city. And he'll make that presentation for us and then we'll go into closed session. Okay, I've got three or four items for you in close. So with that, I'd ask uh, Bobby Tahan, who is uh, um, with us this evening, to talk about uh, the item on your agenda uh, next week relative to transit-oriented development. Thank you, Mr. Manager, uh, Mayor, City Council. Uh, there is an item that's coming forward that uh, came from the Planning Commission uh, for a text amendment to the transit-oriented development uh, regulations in the zoning ordinance. We'll be reviewing and uh, voting on this at the uh, next City Council public hearing. Uh, so just to, for a quick overview, just kind of going over the, the purpose of the transit-oriented development zoning district. Uh, it is and to encourage uh, uses, different uses, higher intensity uses within half mile of the light rail stations and to provide kind of support for those areas. Uh, there are two districts. Uh, one is the TOD core, which is within a quarter mile of the light rail stations, and the other uh, one is the TOD support, which is from that quarter mile to half mile distance away from the light rail station. Um, in 1990, then in 2011, we created these districts to align with the uh, new light rail stations and the light rail system, and they were essentially floating districts. Uh, it was in place in case anyone wanted to add, do a different type of development near or around the light rail stations. And currently right now, there are 
uh, this zoning classification is not on the ground yet. So no property has the zoning district on it yet. Um, the key to the district is that it does provide a, a broader range of uses, higher density, and reduced parking standards because of its proximity to the light rail and different setbacks. Uh, it does require first floor transparency and um, uh, an orientation towards the light rail. Uh, so the key is, is it does provide for higher density. Uh, it, is, it is supposed to be a little bit of a transformative district for areas that are around the light rail stations. And it also requires that uh, any new developments that utilize this new zoning district to uh, obtain a development certificate for approval, uh, that way it can be reviewed for compliance with the zoning. So one of the issues that we found uh, when we were reviewing the zoning ordinance and the translation of this district, uh, we found that it was mistakenly revised uh, through the adoption process. Uh, a lot of the standards were a little too suburban, required large setbacks, which were different than what we would require, and was not a direct translation of what we previously had. Um, unfortunately, because it was a district that was not on the ground, it did not get a fine-tooth cone review when we when we reviewed it uh, through the adoption of the new zoning ordinance. Um, that being said, we did have a, a, a reason to look at it, and some developers were looking at some things nearby, and we went into the district and realized that it wasn't correct. So that right now, the current request that's come from the Planning Commission is to return the TOD district to essentially the same regulations that were in place in the 1992 zoning ordinance, the previous zoning ordinance, and it's only a technical revision. There are no substantial uh, policy changes that were made to this district with the with the proposal. Uh, there was no opposition to the proposal and the City Planning Commission recommended 5-0 for approval. Mayor, that will be on your uh, agenda on the, uh, on the 20th. All right, the next item is, uh, Richard, I'm going to ask her to step up and just remind you all of um, what you first saw back in October of 17 uh, relative to a VDOT project. fairly simple uh, set of projects so we get money from VDOT it's really nice because it's hundred percent VDOT money no city match for resurfacing it really helps stretch our existing resurfacing budget so this work is going to be done on Hampton Boulevard and because of the sensitivity of, of activities going on with the uh, um, Highland Park Civic League and uh, Hampton Boulevard Advisory Committee we've decided to postpone that resurfacing work until the spring to make sure we incorporate all the changes specifically around Bowling Avenue. We're looking at some lane changes and whatnot. So essentially that project will run from uh, northbound 39th Street to Lexan and then southbound will be from the Hampton Boulevard Bridge up to 39th Street. So again that's 100% VDOT money. Um, the next project is um, 20% city match. So this, these, again, these ordinances are for us to already just accept the money you've already approved the projects. The first one is a uh, transportation alternative project is for improved pedestrian crossing at, in, by uh, Calvary Tower across Virginia Beach Boulevard. Connects Calvert Square and uh, Calvary Towers to a uh, heavily used HRT bus stop. So we've seen the need for that, those improvements. Um, and then there's another issue that came up which the next bike lane segment will be up Granby Boulevard. So what we're going to do is through the section of Riverview, which is very crowded, even for a couple of cars driving through there, we're taking the bikes off 
moving them east of Granby, running them through Lafayette Park, and um, bringing them back back onto Granby just before the bridge. All right, and then um, so there's just a couple of quick items that uh, that the second one obviously is on your agenda uh, this evening, and just wanted folks to be aware of what we're doing. Uh, I'm going to ask uh, Chief Deputy Bender to introduce uh, Dr. Joel English. And as I said before, uh, when you see this, I think you all know most of what you're going to see. But when you see it all in a single PowerPoint, you realize that it has been a really tremendous collaboration and partnership, and, and a lot has been accomplished, and, and in many ways sets the stage for. Uh, the piece that's now going to happen out on Little Creek Road at the uh, Cavalry School. So, Mr. Bender. Thank you, Mr. Smith. Good evening, Mayor, members of City Council. I'm excited to be with you this evening. Uh, part of the what, if you will, at your places is uh, simply the rezoning. So you have a PowerPoint that if you have questions about the council action that's going to be taken on the 20th, Bobby Tahan is my life preserver here that I can throw to, but there is a um, this is a simple rezoning that takes uh, the Calvary 29, the address is 20, 2329 to 2331 East Little Creek Road, and rezones it from what it's been as a K-12 Calvary school into what will be the Aviation Institute of Maintenance, which we're excited about, which will be relocated from Chesapeake uh, here to Norfolk. So wonderful opportunity with that. The why piece of this, and that's part of what I'm here for, and if I can, I'm gonna give a shout out to Ms. Graves and Ms. Johnson because you know they've often told us to tell our story, you tell and be bold about it. So part of what we, the why tonight is that story, the story that I think intersects many of you around the city council. I know that the mayor has had uh, a few interactions with um, Dr. Joel English and also uh, Mr. Yagan who runs the overall school. We've been out on site and spent way too much time around airplanes with General Mercier. It's at least my opinion. They're fascinating, but that's a lot of time. Uh, <laughs> and uh, But the, the opportunity as Dr. English lays out, who by the way, by day is Vice President of Operations at Centura College, the Aviation School of Maintenance, and also Tidewater Tech. But by evening, he's one of our neighbors and also has kids in Norfolk Public Schools, and so he's here in our city. And so um, it's with that that I look at Dr. English, and I, and I hope but give him time with his new scooter, that one that's lawful and permitted, um, to come to the uh, podium here. So, And I'll give you the clicker. Thanks, sir. Is there any way that I can help you here, Mike? Right. I can uh, get around. I apologize for the informality of my, uh, my, my come up here. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Mr. Mayor, uh, City Council, Mr. Manager, thank you so much for uh, giving a little time. I promise to keep this right at 10 minutes. Uh, I, I think you've got some handouts going out. There's one piece of paper I welcome you to pull out of that. That's the one that's uh, reaching out of the top. It's really a timeline um, uh, of uh, the last three years of partnership. And uh, what you'll see on that uh, uh, timeline is uh, uh, some dates of activity. And I just want to, as quickly as possible, go through uh, that to kind of recap what we have been doing together uh, for the last couple of years. So, so for some of you, it may be a little bit of an education of the kinds of things we've been doing. For some, it'll uh, be celebration uh, of a partnership. Um, and then there's one more document I'm going to pull out as, as we go. So I'm going to just kind of start with uh, in this room in um, August 20, uh, 22nd, Miss um, Graves actually and um, uh, uh, Miss Johnson uh, reported on a visit to our school at Tidewater Tech and talked to you all about um, uh, what they saw and how we're serving veterans. About half of our students at Tidewater Tech are veterans, uh, most of them uh, getting a, a certificate program in automotive or uh, welding. And uh, they were pretty impressed with what they saw. Um, uh, we invited you all back, and we uh, and and actually, there's has been a lot of that ever since. Um, that that um, 
uh, that, that August, uh, the mayor had an event at the Scope um, uh, dedicating for um, uh, different resources for students going back to school. We participated in that by giving 1,000 backpacks. We're uh, pleased to do that. And the following month, Mr. Benda and I um, uh, took a stroll to Broad Park with uh, Ms. Johnson. Um, we knew that it was being converted from the boxing center to something. Um, and, uh, and, and we talked about the possibility of some aviation programming, uh, obviously our, our hallmark school. We've got 11 aviation schools around the country, um, and, uh, and we wanted to be able to contribute to that to some degree, and we had the idea of uh, a kids' program specifically for certified drone pilots, and we actually ran that program in uh, January of 2017, January and February, a six-week class. Uh, we trained 10 elementary schools, kids from, uh, from Norfolk schools. Um, some of them came from uh, the St. Paul's area. Two high school teachers, uh, physics teachers, um, and uh, went through a, a program together, uh, and, and many of them got certified as, as drone pilots. Um, pretty innovative. Um, that uh, ended up getting some recognition. Um, I'll talk about that recognition in just a minute. Um, uh, uh, meanwhile, um, uh, this is really just a throw-in, that uh, we have a couple of annual meetings each year where we bring about 250 people uh, into Norfolk, and, uh, and indeed that, that's what we did uh, that year, 2017. We brought um, all of our educators from our schools around the country uh, into downtown Norfolk um, uh, at the, um, uh, the, the Norfolk Marriott. Um, and around that time, I started talking with uh, Chief Wise uh, about... Um, a specific need that they had at the Fire Rescue Academy, and that was um, uh, basic academic skills training for, uh, for students. Something to the tune of 20% of the students in the, in the Fire Rescue Academy struggled with academic skills. We at Centura College, of course, um, uh, pride ourselves, uh, rightly so, in, um, in academic skills leading to certification programs. We said, Chief, hey, we can put together a program that'll help that. So, um, uh, so we'll, we'll see how that, that played out. But meanwhile, in the summer of uh, 2017, uh, the major career education uh, conference, career education uh, uh, conference, um, uh, invited um, Mr. Binda, Ms. Johnson, and myself to come talk about what we did at Broad Park. Um, it was kind of a, a first step in notoriety for this program we called Fly Norfolk. And it was, uh, it was um, I don't know, uh, humbling to me uh, to, to have uh, my organization uh, nationally call out and say, hey, tell us what you're doing with the city of Norfolk. We want to hear more. Uh, great presentation that we were able to put on there. Um, meanwhile, you probably, guys, I'm flying through this, and I apologize for talking so fast, but I, I, I don't want to take up too much of your time. But um, you may know that we've contributed to the Norfolk Nighthawks program. Um, what Tidewater Tech and Aviation Institute of Maintenance have done is brought short programming into those night programs, teaching uh, folks to, in this case, work on electronics and see how the basics of electricity work. We brought tires and did uh, have done uh, uh, slight automotive maintenance, uh, small uh, portions, help people know how to change a car tire, and, and do basic maintenance things that um, uh, learn a little skill while they're uh, playing basketball. We've continually com uh, um, uh, benefited from providing backpacks to the summer programs. Um, uh, last year, Miss um, uh, Johnson um, and uh, Mr. Smith and uh, uh, the mayor all presented at our annual conference uh, at the main hotel. Um, it was a great honor. Oh, and by the way, this has impacted our organization very deeply. Um, what, uh, Mayor, what you don't know is when you left uh, and our, our staff from all over the country, these are campus directors from 18 campuses around the country, turned, and I said to them, would your mayor show up to your annual meeting and present 
at your, uh, uh, to your staff, to your faculty. That's the kind of integration we need with our communities. And so this is just to say um, this partnership has been beneficial for our organization in some very deep ways. Um, uh, we are community-focused career colleges, and it's just been, it's been great for us as well. I mentioned um, uh, the Fire Rescue Academy. Sure enough, for a week of the uh, Fire Rescue Academy um, uh, program in uh, the first part of this year, um, we were able to train, um, uh, get, get students uh, ready for the academic rigors of the Fire Rescue Academy, as well as some um, uh, medical training and, uh, and different types of training. Um, uh, you may know that we purchased, made two building purchases in Norfolk uh, in the last year. The first is for Tidewater Tech. Um, where we have moved our Tidewater Tech campus, which ha ha uh, is the largest welding training uh, facility on the south side of Hampton Roads, um, and we're going to be able to double the space and train twice as many people as we are today. We've got about 400 students in school today. Um, the new location, just about a, a mile from the Croc Center, um, will house uh, uh, almost twice that, um, close to 800 students um, doing uh, skilled trades, including welding, HVAC, um, automotive, and, uh, and uh, electricity. Um, uh, and the second purchase um, uh, took us a while to develop um, and has been taking a while to develop, and that's the purchase of the Calvary uh, Christian School on East Little Creek uh, Park, uh, uh, Avenue. That is, I, I hope, um, just weeks away from, uh, from a formal close. Um, uh, I, I told the mayor that I was going to mention this. Um, in that purchase, and I don't know if, if many, many people realize that, in that purchase, we had a little hard time getting out the right purchase price. Um, and if you've ever had the pleasure of negotiating property with Gerald Yegan, you know it can be a challenge, and, and, uh, and, and it, it, you know, getting the price uh, was right. And we were able to um, uh, draw on a conversation that I had uh, with the mayor about creativity of funding. Um, and, and the way we actually bridged the gap between, um, uh, between pricing uh, was to put scholarships on the table for Calvary Christian Church uh, community members. Um, uh, we said, hey, we seem to be at a, about a quarter of a million dollars apart here as the numbers came. How about if we give $300,000 worth of uh, uh, scholarships toward your church and, and um, uh, into all three of our school brands, Aviation Institute of Maintenance, Tidewater Tech, and, um, and uh, Centura College. Little did we realize how good of a negotiator the, um, uh, uh, the seller was. Uh, he said, I think I heard a million, um, and, uh, and he was right about that. And so we have a million dollars towards scholarshiping, and that actually, when we leverage the Pell Grant issue in there, it comes out to about a million and a half dollars worth toward uh, uh, the Norfolk community for uh, each of our brands to get training in nursing, uh, welding, and, and sort of our hallmark program, aviation maintenance. So great stuff happening. Um, th this is not just a building. It's, um, it's a start of something very, very big, and, and, I, and I hope you guys will see that. We've got summer programming uh, that we do at all of our schools. Um, a very innovative one happened this summer called the Norfolk Navigators, where uh, a, a couple of dozen students from the Norfolk Summer Camp uh, program through Parks and Rec uh, came to the AIM campus and did a three-day training program. This is going to develop into something very large that I want to talk to you about. Uh, and meanwhile, the mayor came to our Centura uh, campus uh, to stuff backpacks. And if I, uh, they tell me you stuffed the first one, they tell me, sir, that you stuffed it the, the best and the most tidy and compacted, just, a, just, just a, a great backpack and a great day that we had together as we um, worked for, for, for the city's youth. Um, some of you know, and we're sort of waiting for it, um, uh, the Fly Norfolk program that we launched in 2017 um, uh, was a finalist for a national award called the Route 50 Navigator Award. 
Um, uh, they have not released whether we are uh, the winner of this, but um, out of 300 applicants, we're in the top 10. That's, that's awesome uh, national recognition. Um, another national recognition that you, don't, you maybe didn't enjoy, but I did, and that is because of our partnership, um, our accreditor, the Accrediting Commission of Career Schools, named Eamon Centura uh, as the winner of their Excellence in Community Service Award for um, all 800 schools that they, um, uh, they serve. Uh, you don't see me pictured. Um, I uh, was getting surgery on this leg back here at the time and wasn't able to uh, be in uh, Long Beach where they, they uh, gave us this award, but I want to thank you for the partnership, and it's, it's helped us label ourselves as a community partner, and, it, and it's, it's just awesome. Um, and just a few weeks ago, uh, Mr. Benda and I and a few others sat down and talked about, all right, what's next? This Fly Norfolk thing, um, uh, giving awesome technology and certification programs to kids for free seems to be, um, uh, you know, kind of a, a hallmark of what we do together. Um, and so we're developing a program for the summer, um, and I told you there was a second piece of paper. Just reach into your folder and find the one that says Fly Norfolk 2019 on it. Um, I'm not going to walk you through all of it, uh, but together um, uh, you and we applied uh, for a grant from Southwest Airlines uh, for uh, engaging youth programming. Um, uh, we'll know in February whether we receive that grant together, um, uh, but the, what the program we hope to put on will serve 1,400 kids in Norfolk par uh, Park and Recreation summer camps, um, about 600 of them with sp specific intense training um, in, in different t uh, ways, uh, the, the hallmark of which is uh, senior high students who get a FAA certification in drone maintenance, or, or uh, drone piloting, I'm, I'm sorry, um, and a number of kids pro programming. Um, every student in Parks and Recreation will have some opportunity to touch an aircraft, to watch other kids um, fly, uh, uh, fly drones and, and imagine um, a, a career in, in aviation. I believe that this can be an answer to, um, to a lot of things we're looking for in the city, um, a lot of pathways to uh, certifications and careers, um, and, uh, and, and, and we're thrilled to be a part of it. I'm, I'm wrapping up here. Um, we know that uh, in, in December, um, we hope to close on, on our building. Uh, you may at, and, and move um, our Chesapeake Aviation Institute of Maintenance campus right into Norfolk uh, on Little Creek. Um, that'll have all three of our brands here in Norfolk. Um, it'll be the only city in, in the country um, uh, where we have a presence in all three of our school locations, and we look forward to that very much. You also may know um, that uh, there are a lot of uh, furnished furniture and um, uh, uh, things that are designed for children smaller than uh, than our students in the building. We've got about 350 chairs we'll be uh, 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 donating to the city, about 85 tables for, for young kids, and a lot of different furniture and learning utilities that uh, are, are left over in the building uh, that are great and salvageable, and we look forward to delivering those to you guys uh, when, we, when we own the building. Uh, uh, we've got another conference coming up in two weeks here in town. Um, uh, we have a grand opening of Tidewater Tech uh, on uh, uh, Princess Anne in January. Look forward to that building. Um, uh, the, in January, we will be uh, interacting with Chief Wise and Fire Rescue um, uh, to provide more uh, uh, training for the new recruits. Um, bringing another 250 people into town in January uh, for our admissions conference uh, at the Sheraton, um, and uh, and you know the great groundbreaking um, uh, or grand opening of AIM on Little Creek in in May. So we look forward to that very much. Um, like I said, 
Our summer programming in uh, uh, this summer is going to be world-renowned. Hopefully we get the Southwest uh, grant. The, the program is too awesome not to do, even if we don't, so we'll have to figure that out together because this thing, this thing is a must-do. Um, and I will tell you that it will, this program, for some uh, summer program, will get um, national news. You better tell me now if that's not okay with you because it's, um, it's, it's one of a kind. Um, there, there is no school training students like we're going to train the youth of Norfolk in the summer. It's going to be awesome. Uh, and uh, we'll have backpacks ready to go in August. So that's my presentation. Uh, thanks for giving me a little time. Thank you. Um, you saw my Facebook post. Right. Uh, for I hope the, it's okay. I jumped in there. Yeah, that's good. That's hey, great. we're friends now. That's right, yes. Um, for the investment <laughs> that you're making. And I recently said at a couple civic leagues in the Ward 5 um, advisory committee that this is probably the biggest economic development um, project that's happened on that side of the city because of the job creation, um, as well as the businesses will benefit around it as um, students stay there. And hopefully we'll eat at Steak and Shake next door and right on. Uh, the, the other businesses that are there. There's restaurants there, too. It's small. Lots of restaurants yes. on yeah. Little Creek Corridor. So much to do. But I, I do want to thank um, Winter and the mayor. The only credit that I take for this is continuing to whine about doing something with Calvary School and, and you know, the conversations, but um, and Andrea as well, for just the collective um, energy on bringing this there. And I think it's going to be a great addition to Norfolk. Uh, my only criticism is on your marketing, you need to change this to Norfolk and hey, not Virginia Beach anymore you, with all see, of the campus. Uh, exactly. You'll there. see it's Virginia Beach and Chesapeake. We just confuse them until we get to ourselves home, right? Yeah, and then so, we'll have Norfolk everywhere. So you, just, you uh, Absolutely. But everybody is very excited about this project, and, uh, and I hope that Norfolk Public Schools could actually benefit from some of the furniture that's in there because I've been through that building about 17 times giving tours of it to people. Yep. Um, and uh, I think there's some preschools and other facilities that could utilize some of that furniture um, in the city as well. But thank you again. Thank, thank you, you, sir. Thank you, Winter. Thank you. Thank you. Dr. Andrews, thank you. That's a uh, fantastic story. When you look at the, the timeline there in a, in a very short amount of time, that, that partnership has really blossomed and uh, expect great things going forward. And I, I, I wanna, yeah. me too. Um, Joel is coming to our uh, East Little Creek Road task force meeting on the 12th, and Noel Gabriel, the school board chair, is going to be there. And this, uh, from the retreat, the presentation I missed, but this is exactly what we were discussing about um, jobs for the future and really preparing students now for, um, you know, training and drone piloting. And so Azalea Garden Middle School is right around the corner from this, um, Lake Taylor High School Services that area in Norview High School, which has an engineering program. I think there's an opportunity here to get a really good partnership through Norfolk Public Schools, and I'm hoping that that happens with the conversation with Noel, that that is brought back to the school system uh, to even get more students involved in this program, maybe even leaving high school and going right into Centura uh, or AIM um, and getting those skills needed if they're not going to a four-year institution. Yep. Andrew. I, I also, I think that there might be some opportunity with regards to um, technology and new energy jobs um, to explore with these folks. I think that they have an interest in also offering that, which I think would be very helpful and a lot of the things that we've been talking about as well. All right, so uh, Deputy City Manager Catherine Whitesell is going to step forward. As I said earlier, we've kind of had these um, uh, continuing uh, workshops on regional issues that, uh, that we're tackling, and uh, tonight's is uh, around regional broadband and more. So, Ms. Whitesell?
Mr. Schmeichel, thank you for the jobs of the future. I think it's going to rely heavily on some of the technology that I'm going to talk about tonight. Um, this brief is really as much for your awareness for those of you who aren't actively engaged in some of these projects, but also for citizens at home. A lot of these projects get talked about, but there's no real linkages between what happens with 5G or broadband or the transatlantic cable. So I'm going to try to weave a story together about how they all feed upon each other. Backing me up today are the IT folks who really make all this happen, Stephen DeBerry, Fraser Picard, Chip Finch, and Terry Doan. Um, they're the people who really make all this happen. So transatlantic fibers. I'm at your retreat. Wanda Gibson, the, C the Fairfax County's chief technology officer, spoke about information technology as the new infrastructure. And I think that's a great analogy as we think about all of this going forward. It's the, how the economy is going to connect, how the jobs are going to be created. It's the data transmission speeds. These are going to be the super highways of how our economy goes forward in the future. In that vein, Hampton Roads is in a really unique position because of the landing of two transatlantic cables um, into Virginia Beach. These cables are going to be really a game changer in terms of the development potential that will be out there for the region. It's going to turn Hampton Roads into that international digital port. If you think about what the Port of Virginia does, this is going to be the data port for the um, country. Um, it's going to expand our access to economic markets in Europe and in South America, and it's going to provide opportunities for collaborative research and development hubs as we go forward. The first transatlantic cable, um, which is at the top of the uh, map, is the Mariana cable. It's about 4,000 miles long, connecting Europe with the U.S., the speeds of that cable, the data transmitting through that cable, will be 16 million times faster than your internet service at home. The second transatlantic cable, Barissa, or I guess Brazil USA is the, the mashup of that name, is 6,500 6, miles long, and it'll connect South America to the U.S. at similar high-speed transmission lines. Both of these fibers will, the original vision for these is they were going to land speed through Hampton Roads in the straightest line possible out to Ashburn, Virginia, which is where the Atlanta airport of internet capability, it's the big hub for the country, and they were going to have no off-ramps. So they were just going to blaze through, and that's what the companies were looking for. Um, Virginia Beach really pitched a vision um, of how this could be a game changer for the Hampton Roads region, worked with HRPDC and the five regional cities to really stand up a, a vision of a lot of off-ramps on a regional ring so that we can all start benefiting from this high-speed data going through. When I talk about high-speed data, I think that's kind of a nebulous thing. This is a chart that Fraser Picard put together for me to kind of illustrate it. At the far left-hand side, 25 megabits. That's basic Internet service, basic broadband services defined by the FCC. It's basically you can browse the web and you can do your emails and not much less. Moving up one step to the 50 megabyte, that's where most of our home Internets are right now. It would take you eight minutes to download a one-hour movie or to download a movie. Jumping up to one gig, the gig economy, we're hearing a lot of stuff about this. This is where our data transmissions are right now for city businesses. Um, it's being now offered by some of the providers in the region to homeowners. This is a jump in expense, but it's a jump in speed. That same movie now takes you 25 seconds to download. 
10 gig uh, is where we're trying to get uh, through the Cox negotiations, not related to cable TV, but related to the internet provision. IT was able to get 10 gig access to all the high schools at a much lower rate than they had been paying with Cox. It's also where the larger businesses in the Hampton Roads region, where the medical centers want to be, and where you get advanced manufacturing. So that's kind of a minimum speed for some of those activities. Jumping up to um, where the Mariana cable and the Barissa cables are going to be, it would take you one second to download 10,000 movies if you could get access directly to those cables, which none of us will be able to do. Those are the big players. Those are the Amazons, the Googles, um, the Microsofts and Facebooks. Those are the, they want to make those data connections get out um, and around, but that's a phenomenal speed, and that's where the Internet kind of is going. So looking at the regional fiber connectivity ring, um, what this does is provides those off-ramps for that those big high-speed data cables coming in. Um, yeah, basically, my term, think of it an interstate, and you have the off-ramps. Mm -hmm. So it, when it, the original vision for these high-speed cables was just to lay cable through, straight through, no way for a business or uh, anybody to connect to it. So by doing what I call off-ramps, or this regional ring, it gives businesses and cities an opportunity to tap into that speed mm -hmm in a way that we wouldn't have been able to do. For Norfolk, this is our piece right here, the gold piece. Um, I think, Mayor, you were at the connection point for Virginia Beach. Um, but each city is building its portion of the ring, going around. Catherine, can I go real quickly? Mm -hmm. So um, if you, it's, it's our dark fiber that we have, that we own municipally, right? That, and we're not, this is what we call middle mile strategy. The city does not intend this is very important. We don't intend to provide service to residences right. or businesses, but we provide the highway that other internet companies can drive their trucks on, if you will. So we can create more competition and offer uh, infrastructure available that we have that taps into those rings. But we as a city, am I correct? Yeah. But then that provides um, additional opportunity and access to other internet companies. So on October 26th, um, the city of North, well, the region won um, the 2018 Smart Infrastructure Challenge grant um, with the real potential of bringing about $47 million to help facilitate building out this ring, along with five other projects, one for each of the five cities. Ours is the 10.3 um, miles of kind of a smart trail using the Elizabeth River Trail would be our part of the project. Norfolk has been building its own fiber, and if you think about that gold band, this is it from where it hits Virginia Beach going out to Portsmouth, so this little section down here. Doesn't mean we're going to lay fiber as part of this, but we are going to have to, um, we have the piping, we just need to lay the fiber through there um, to make that connection. I think some of the other things is, um, We've already installed 32 miles. We're slowly getting off the Cox cable fiber system. Um, it'll be a period of years as funding becomes available before we get fully off of that. Doing that saves us money because we're not going to be paying Cox. We'll have invested in our own infrastructure going forward in this area. So as funding becomes available, we'll continue to build this out. Um, I, the other thing that I wanted to point out is this pink Pink Wiggly Line is the technology corridor that we're working with the Greater Norfolk Corporation to try to build out. 
that's going to be a real opportunity for businesses to locate along that corridor and tap into some of these higher speed internet um, connections. Bringing it down one more level to public Wi-Fi, um, I think IT has been doing a really great service of trying to stand up as many public Wi-Fi spots. All the little dots, the green ones, are existing facilities that are out there. The other ones are ones that will come online as we have money to move forward with some of those additional public spots. This public Wi-Fi really is going to be the backbone of our smart city strategy as we move forward, being able to get access for a smart car. They're not going to be dragging a cable along behind them. They're going to be wanting to move from public Wi-Fi to public Wi-Fi as we go through. 5G. Um, so what is it? What the heck does it mean? Um, think of 5G. It's 10 times faster than your current 4G cell phone. Also, very expensive technology. Um, it's not really available right now anywhere in the country, although all the vendors are talking it's coming soon. Um, but what it's going to mean is we're moving away from the tall mono towers that you see around cities where you might have 10, 15, 20 for a whole city. They're going to be moving to on the pole, light pole type, small cell technologies. The key and how it relates to the broadband discussion I started with is those poles get connected by broadband. They're going to want to tap into wire, fiber under the ground to make all those connections. You've probably heard a lot of the policy discussion about we're losing control over our right of way. Um, push, there's a big push at the federal level, push at the state level to um, kind of clear the path for these companies to come in, hang a small cell anywhere they want to. But I think there's some opportunities. Ms. Um, the lady from Fairfax talked at, the, at your retreat about maybe doing a regional strategy, and I think that was already in the works, and we'll be looking to stand up a regional committee with these vendors to try to come up with a regional solution to that. But where we might get for 20 towers some money for the use of the right-of-way, they're not going to be willing to pay $100 for every light pole that they need to hang a, a small cell on. Those light poles, there may be one every three light poles that these small cells need to hang on. They don't, they don't have a big broadcast radius for their transmission. Um, so what they're trying to do is clear the path, and I think there's some opportunity for negotiation as we go forward, so that'll be something we'll be working on. So um, things moving forward, we'll continue to work to expand our own fiber facilities within the city of Norfolk. We'll continue to support and ask you to support the fi regional fiber ring. And then we'll work with the region to identify and bring forward to you all policies regarding right-of-way um, within the new framework that's working out um, and its infrastructure impact. And I think finally, and IT may be promised not to give you a date, um, they are working on a comprehensive smart city strategy so that we can be ready for this as it all starts to unfold. Catherine, thank you. 5G is what's needed for autonomous vehicles. Yeah, I think that's, that's the speeds they're going to want to be able to do to make the transition from pole to pole to pole fast enough. I'm not getting in there because, as I mentioned at your retreat, the technology guys hate me, and I will be in the nearest tree. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Catherine, uh, uh, thank you. Stephen, thank you. Um, I'm going to flip-flop because we're doing well on time, and I think it's more relevant to go straight to Kyle uh, Spencer. Uh, Kyle, put you on the um, and Kyle, uh, obviously uh, Deputy 
uh, Chief Resilience Officer, and uh, is going to give you an update on a um, laboratory for resilience innovation and some interesting things he's doing with the uh, Department of Homeland Security. Thank, thank you, Mr. Mayor. Well, good evening, uh, Mayor, City Council. Um, really appreciate this opportunity to talk to you about this exciting project, and those of you that know me uh, know that I get excited about this kind of stuff. So, um, um, it, you know, it's a little bit on the, on the nerdy side, but anyway, um, I really wouldn't be here talking about this, actually, if it wasn't for um, the great leadership that this administration has been um, giving towards, um, you know, uh, offering our city as this living laboratory and being the coastal community future. So uh, uh, thank you for that, because that has um, rec made us uh, recognized by um, the international community. Um, we've, you know, been winning awards around some of this kind of work I'm going to talk about. And, uh, you know, we're recognized by a lot of the federal agencies that are coming to us for partnerships and academic institutions. So, um, the, you know, Norfolk is on the map, as, so to speak, um, when it comes to um, using, using us to test and, and work through some of this, um, some of these new things coming out that, and Catherine sort of alluded to some of that. So before I get into the specifics of the, of the, of the project with the Department of Homeland Security, I want to just sort of at a higher level explain what, what the smart city technology um, world is. And, and uh, in its simplest terms, um, just kind of moving from left to right, it's basically electronically uh, collecting data and uh, passing that um, onto, in our case, the city or our servers um, in a way that is typically wireless or, um, or using a combination of wireless and, and connected um, or, or wired connections, but we, we can collect data from all kinds of devices. There's a lot of data out there sort of being collected um, through vehicles uh, that the city has or driving around. Uh, but today or tonight, I just want to talk to you about water level uh, and flood sensors. And so these things are wireless autonomous uh, devices that are measuring the, um, the height of the water in the river or on our streets. Um, and, and in some cases, we're also measuring rainfall that's coming down. Um, and then that information is, is, um, is uh, passed on to uh, the cloud, if you will, for storage and processing. And then from there, applications can connect to that data uh, in different ways to, you know, build a map about where the flooding is going to be in our case or feed a, a model that's going to uh, predict flooding um, in our case as well um, or alert, uh, message, send a message alert to us um, to, to take action and things like that. So. So, so in essence, that's kind of what we're talking about here in, uh, in smart city technologies and, and where the city to date has really been kind of working in. We're, we don't have autonomous vehicles and things, but this is a place where we are definitely leading the way. And, and again, thanks to you, to, to you all support um, behind that. So um, like I said, Norfolk uh, sort of opened our doors to, to this idea of being a living laboratory. Um, and actually, Department of Homeland Security um, sort of approached us because of a conversation they had with the University of Virginia at a smart city conference. Um, and I had been talking with the University of Virginia about doing a, um, a National Science Foundation grant, which we were awarded, or, or the, the university was, and that's about um, $4 million worth of innovative research going on in our city um, from Charlottesville, but the, their students are coming down here and working with us. But anyway, they, they met with DHS and said, you know, Norfolk is, is a great place to to have your, your vendors come um, and install sensors. And so what DHS is trying to do is, is identify 
um, companies that can develop these low-cost flood sensors so that they can deploy them around the country through municipalities and through their own um, you know, agencies within the federal government. Um, and, and so they want to test these companies they've identified. There's three of them. And they want to test some of these capabilities, how well do they work and, and all that. Um, and so we've been selected as that urban coastal environment, which is unique among the other localities. They've, they're doing some in the state of North Carolina and Kentucky um, and actually even in, in Charlotte, North Carolina. But we're the, we're the urban coastal environment. We have um, obviously a lot of uh, unique challenges around flooding and, and, and water management. So, so we felt like we, um, we'd be a good place for them to test this out. And this, and this data, um, you know, again, is, is um, or this project kind of is, is in support of a lot of these efforts that you may have heard of some about storm sense in the paper. It's a, an award-winning project that I've been involved with for a number of years uh, directly with Dr. Loftus at Virginia Student Marine Science. And now we've grown storm sense into this regional collaboration with the city of Virginia Beach and Newport News. But that sort of, uh, you know, Derek and I, or Dr. Loftus and I started working on on collecting sensor data and informing the models that are coming out of that project together uh, for several years, and now we're expanding that to a regional, um, a regional sort of common operating picture and a learning system. And so, uh, to do all this work, it is kind of tough for some of us with our normal day-to-day -day jobs. So we've brought in Rise, which is this resilience innovations nonprofit that came out of our NDRC grant that is helping us as a broker to to facilitate the installation of these gauges and look for these um, sort of economic opportunities uh, that maybe brings these companies to Norfolk to manufacture um, and develop these technologies um, here locally instead of from Silicon Valley. So, so we're, we're trying to, you know, working with RISE and working with um, some of the research agencies to, to get the, the maximum benefit from this data. So where are they going? So we, we worked uh, with Stormwater and, 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 um, uh, and the companies to strategically locate these in places that we would get multiple benefits, right? So, so um, there's um, on the map, maybe hard to see from here, but there's yellow triangles that show the existing city tie gauges um, that were, have been installed for a number of years. Uh, and the orange dots are, are where we put, we're putting in new sensors. And so there's one along Hampton Boulevard at Lexington Avenue near the library. Um, part of our joint land use study with the Navy um, and Virginia Beach is looking at that corridor as a project area. So we want to collect some data specific to that. And, and then another outlier would be along Shore Drive there. Uh, the joint land use study is also looking at that corridor, raising that road. So we want to collect some data over there. But then the majority of them are, are focused around um, The Hague, where we're doing some other testing um, uh, has some other testing sites, and one of the students at UVA is doing his PhD there. So we're collecting data to support him in, in our efforts um, in The Hague. But then, of course, uh, you know, the, um, along the Newton Creek watershed, we want to collect a lot of data uh, that I'll talk a little bit about more here in a second um, in that watershed because of all the, all the work we're going to be starting soon there. So that's kind of where we're, we're putting them around the city. Um, and this is what that kind of looks like. So we've had a a lot of great support from Public Works Stormwater Division out there um, helping us do the installation. So that's one of the guys up on the ladder there. Um, and then the picture on the right is just showing that uh, so far two vendors out of the three have come. And so there's 11 locations. All three vendors will be at each of those locations. And they're sort of like uh, in a competition with each other. And uh, we're helping them evaluate uh, how well each uh, are doing. Um, so that's the first two. The third one will be in next week. 
Um, and then um, you know, I just wanted to talk a little bit briefly about how this helps us. So again, we get 33 of these things, and we will get to uh, move them around after the, the evaluation's over uh, to put them in, spread them out, basically, because they're all co-located. So that's a great benefit to collect this data um, in other places as well. Um, and then we are also, um, you know, are going to use this to inform uh, and support the the modeling needed for the Greenway in the in the in the um, St. Paul's transformation project, uh, and how to design that Greenway uh, the the most effective way. So this data really help us validate and calibrate the modeling needed to um, sort of figure that out as we go forward in the in the design and planning process uh, of, of that of that project area. And so a couple other things that that. Um, you know, um, our, our next steps for us, we're not doing um, all these yet, but we're working uh, in the back end on some of this type of stuff where we could, uh, the sensors would reach a threshold, say the roads flooded too deep, it could send alerts to, to residents potentially, um, smart speakers like Alexa or Google Home, um, push real-time alerts to apps like Waze, which is a navigation uh, traffic um, application that the city's in a partnership with to exchange data. So that's a kind of a neat thing that we're working with the mechanics of that a little bit on. Um, and then, um, you know, just uh, continuing to, to figure out ways to, to um, you know, give people uh, a decision-making tool, uh, drive a different way, so, so flashing signs um, and, and alert messaging out, on the, out in the real world in real time is another uh, thing that we're working on um, as well as part of this project. So um, that's all I wanted to just kind of briefly go through that with you guys and, and uh, um, appreciate, again, all the support you, you're offering in this space. It's been really helpful. Andrea? Mm -hmm. So um, thank you, Kyle. This was, uh, uh, it was mentioned the, the smart infrastructure challenge that we did in Columbus. This was a part of it, the, the uh, sensors for flooding. And this got almost as much attention as anything else did. Folks are really, really excited about this. I think we had about 3.3 3 million. I, and I wanted to recognize Chip Finch, who was um, very helpful and was out with us as well and has done a lot of work there. But this is huge opportunity. But it's not just about the sensors. It's really about the data. I mean, it's the right. sensors, yeah. the, the hardware yeah. itself is not that exciting. It's what we actually do with the data and how do we That's utilize right. yeah, it. Yeah, that, that, that sort of middle step of the processing uh, and storage, there's a lot that kind of that we can do there and goes on there, and that's where we add the value to the data. So, so knowing the water level um, is one thing, but then translating that to to what, right? So, yeah, right, or where should you drive your car or move your car or, or that kind of thing on the resident side. That's right. Yeah, especially city city assets um, um, in the you know during the in the in the event. Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, we're just working our way there, definitely. So, thanks. Kyle, thank you. Sure. Uh, well done, and, and obviously you're seeing that um, we've got some really smart people in the organization and, and leveraging some uh, relationships and networks, um, and um, we'll keep you posted. Uh, with that said, Richard Broad, Public Works Director, is going to step up and give you an update on SIPSA, and, and I do think for a long time SIPSA, uh, there's no surprise, was sort of a, the model of, of, of regional dysfunction, and, and as I said, it was, it was maybe, maybe founded on a flawed model, um, became uh, heavily uh, debt burdened, and we have the, the literally the highest tipping fees in the country. And um, there are some folks, uh, Richard among them, and as I said, John Kiefer and others that have done some really heavy lifting over the last several years to get us, you know, we knew 2018 was that point in time when everything, everybody could go their way and 
divvy up the debt, or we can figure out a new model. And these folks have figured out a, a new model and, and wanted to give you an update on that. Thank you, Mr. Smith. Mayor and members of council. Um, I last <coughs> updated you about CIPSA um, about a year ago, October 2017. And during that update, I told you that we were ending our agreement with Repower South for non-performance and we would put out a new RFP for uh, long-term municipal solid waste disposal. Since that update, SIPSA issued bids, or issued the RFP, received three viable bids, and negotiated a cost-competitive contract with the winning bidder. On September 18th, SIPSA signed a waste disposal and services agreement with Wheelabrator. The new contract start date is February 1st, 2019, and runs through June 2027 with two five-year extension options available. We believe the terms of the new agreement are favorable to both SIPSA and Wheelabrator. As we learn with Repower South, you have to have, um, they have to make money and we have to get a good price. So we feel like this, this is fair to both parties. Based on the negotiated pricing with Wheelabrator, SIPS is able to reduce the tipping fee to $59 per ton starting July 1st, 2019. The $59 rate compares very favorably with the cost of SIPS's landfill. That's, that was the benchmark we used when we started negotiations. We compared everything to what it would cost us to use SIPS's existing landfill in Suffolk. And that rate is $55 a ton. So we went from landfill at the bottom of the waste management hierarchy. I've shown you this several times. We've moved up two levels for a little under $5 extra per ton. And let me tell you that the member localities with, with the budgets being what they are, they were extremely price sensitive about this. So we had to negotiate long and hard with Wheelabrator to get them within our price range. So the benefits of Wheelabrator are many for this area. Um, Wheelabrator's process um, generates steam that we sell, they sell to the Navy. Um, they generate enough electricity, according to their webpage, to power almost 32,000 homes, and they recover about 15,000 tons of recyclable metals every year. The waste volume used in Wheelabrator's process is reduced by about more than 70%. And that allows us to extend the life of the current landfill cell we're using, which is landfill cell six by five years, which puts off our capital investment for five years to create new landfill cells. Willowbrader also provides local employment and tax revenues, partners with the Elizabeth River Project. They were big in constructing Paradise Creek Park. And they're also good neighbors to Portsmouth residents and um, civic leagues. And so it's a good news story. Um, I see SIPSA as probably one of the most effective examples of regionalism. As, as Mr. Smith said, we were, um, we've come a long way since 2008 when we were mired in debt. Um, people even talked about bankruptcy. Um, we just couldn't seem to catch a break. 14 months ago, SIPSA made its last debt payment and began building up its cash reserves. Right now, we're sitting at about $26.6 million in cash. Um, member localities also vowed when we made that last debt payment that we're going to fu finance future spending with cash. 
So we're doing long-term planning on what all our capital expenses are going to be, and we are saving the money for those instead of borrowing more. The eight-member eight localities also agreed at the start of these, this rebuilding process that we all wanted to be treated the same. In the past, there were special deals given to some localities and not others. There was a very little trust. We have restored trust in the organization, and we have very solid leadership, and they're continually looking for uh, process improvements. So I'm very proud to be a part of this organization. Any questions? Ready? Yeah. Yes, sir. Um, recyclables. The company that had been doing our recyclables, they have gone as of November 1st. We, we've extended the contract with them. We're, we're currently under the old contract terms. Okay. We're still doing curbside recycling. And so how long will that be? March 31st, 2019. 2019. Okay. So that bought us some time, frankly, because as you all know, the domestic market <coughs> for recyclables has really disappeared. Right. And so figuring out what our options are going to be, we don't have to literally go back. We'll go back and think about that inverted triangle that, that uh, Richard showed you for your options. Your options get uh, greener as you go up, and they get more expensive as you go up. And we're going to have some of those same kinds of decisions to make uh, relative to uh, our recycling options. And uh, uh, TFC was willing to extend that contract a few months to, to allow us to really think through and talk through with the community. And we plan to work through that with the uh, Norfolk Environmental Commission, and uh, we'll bring back the recommendation. How long have they had that contract with you? We just signed a new year five, a, a new five-year contract with them last. September, I believe. So we were just at the starting point. The difference between our city and the other localities is we had an opt-out clause for both parties. So you had to give 90 days notice and you could you could opt out. That was to protect the city as well as the company. So and prior to that, were we collecting our own recyclables? Only for a short time. Prior to that, we had five-year contract with them as well. We got out of the recycling business um, quite a few years ago. And there was a point when SIPSA was doing it as well. Okay, correct. Richard's going to come back on the 20th and give you an update on recycling. Yep. Okay. Thank you. All right. So, again, that last slide of, of debt-free, $26 million in reserves, uh, pay-as-you-go on future projects, the fact that we all have the same support and use agreement. You remember, you know, the beach had one deal, Suffolk had another deal, so there was just animosity through all that. And so this is a – I'm proud of Richard and John and, and – Work that everybody's done, and, and I hope you all are too. Mayor, those are our open session items, and we've got uh, a handful of items for close. All right. Mr. Bull. I move that members of the council assemble formally and close meeting on November 6, 2018, at 5.31 in the 10th conference room of the City Hall building, the City of Norfolk, for the purposes to set out in clauses 329 and 1 of subsection A of section 2.2-3711 of the Virginia Freedom of Information Act as amended. Number three, discussion of the acquisition of real property in the downtown area. Twenty-nine, discussion of an award of a public contract in the downtown area. Number one, discussion of a performance evaluation for a council-appointed position. Mrs. Doyle? Aye. Ms. McClellan? Aye. Mr. Riddick? Aye. Mr. Smeagle? Aye. Mr. Thomas? Aye. Mr. Alexander? Aye. Yeah, smooth things go in. <laughs>